Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. October 27th, just a little past 7.15 p.m. Rolling as always with Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on? How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Doing good. Uh, you know, just another day in the life of, of remote learning in the public schools, but it's all good. Another adventure for sure. Um, but pumped as always to be back on the podcast and talking basketball. And specifically, the topic of discussion tonight is a very dynamic playmaker and shooter for the Stanford men's basketball team. And we are very excited and privileged to have on uh, one of the associate head coaches for the basketball program, Coach Adam Cohen. Uh, Coach, how's it going? And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Hey, it's going well. I appreciate you guys having me and uh, looking forward to talk a little bit about Ty and you know, we're really excited for him and about him, and uh, it's great for our program, great for him. So anything we can do to, to help, we, we're here and just excited to get this started. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, we've, uh, Chip and I have been fortunate enough to talk to a couple of different graduate assistants, um, video coordinators, you know, about various prospects. Tyrell Terry is somebody that you know, ever since I started looking at some tape on him, you know, really, really exciting young player. And I think the best place that I want to start is just kind of the recruiting process for him. Um, you know, I think he was coming out of high school. I think he was around the 60s or the 70s in terms of where he was ranked nationally. A kid that came out of Minnesota. Um, what do you remember about the recruiting process? I know he had offers from Minnesota, Baylor, and I think Indiana. What do you think uh, put him over the edge for Stanford? Obviously, it's an elite basketball program with a great academic reputation. But is there anything that stood out to you about the recruiting process for him? And what do you think kind of uh, sold him on Stanford? Yeah, you know, I think it was, um, I mean, I remember the first time I saw him. It was an early morning, 6 a.m. pickup game at his local high school, De La Salle um, in Minneapolis. And we had one of our former players, Reed Travis, had graduated from there as well. And that was kind of the connection that got us in the door with Tyrell early. Um, and it was the fall of his junior year. Uh, I went and saw him, and then I actually uh, you know, spent some time and talked to him later that afternoon. And he was just always a kid who was pretty low-key, low-maintenance, extremely bright, um, 
but was a competitor. And you could see it in the pickup game, just how much he cared about winning, how much he wanted the ball in his hands at the end of a game. And then as that progressed, he was actually the only point guard that we offered in the entire class, um, which is really unique. You know, we, we kind of committed ourselves to him really early. And uh, we said to him, like, you're the guy we want. There's nobody else we're going to even talk to. And he actually committed to us before ever visiting the school. And, uh, which is a really unique situation. Baylor was in there pretty early. Minnesota was in there. Indiana kind of came late, but he loved everything that Stanford was about. And he had an opportunity to play, uh, obviously had an opportunity to get a great education. Uh, I should add, he was on pace to graduate in three years, um, through his first year. So he's really bright and, uh, just a great fit on, you know, every way. Um, that's a, that's definitely an interesting story. And, and something else that I read, about him, a quote that I, I, which I was like shocked to read. Um, and I was wondering if you could, um, offer some insight to this. So I had read it. I think it was a sports illustrated article that said in high school, he was mainly a pass first point guard. So a lot of places were really looking at him for his playmaking, but then he, the literal quote that he says is he was like, I got to Stanford and I found out I could shoot the ball a little bit. And I was like, I was like, wait, how is that possible? But is there anything in terms of the growth or player development process that you guys had at the university that kind of helped him um, unlock that talent? Or was he a pretty good shooter already in high school and, and you guys, you know, helped him take it to another level? Yeah, you know, um, he led the Adidas circuit playing for D1 Minnesota in assists his junior year. Um, and that's kind of why I think everybody thought he was that playmaker, pass first guy. He had great players around him like Zeke, Najee, Matthew Hurt, um, it was a high-level AAU team. So for him, in that role, he was more of a pass-first guy. For us, when KZ Akpala went to the draft a year ago, it left open a spot we really needed for scoring. And uh, Tyrell flourished in it right away. And, and I'll say this, like during his senior year of high school is when I think that started. Before that, he was more of a catch-and-shoot guy, get-to-the-paint, fine guys type guy. And then during his senior year of high school, he had to start scoring a little bit more. And I think that just built his confidence up. And then when he got here, we kind of realized, man, this kid can really shoot the ball. And um, he can also play make and he can also see the court. And like I said, really intelligent. So he can do a lot of different things. Um, but shooting was something we could really, you know, we could see it right away. I watched his ESPN interview that he did with Mike Schmitz, his uh, virtual film session. And it was really impressive to hear him talk about his uh, his strengths and his perceived weaknesses. And uh, one of the things he talked about was how much he liked to play in transition. And it's really apparent how good he is there and how comfortable he is. And he also talked about how comfortable he is playing off the ball now, which he wasn't uh, as much when he got to school. Can you talk a little bit about how he has improved playing without the ball in his hands since he got to college? Yeah, for sure. You know, we, we play like a system that has multiple ball handlers. We try to really, you know, in a weird, in a different way, you know, correlate to what the NBA is doing with multiple ball handlers, multiple people handling the pick and roll. Um, we have three guys handling pick and roll very frequently in different possessions. So for him, um, he actually came in, started at the one. Dejon Davis for us was at the two. Dejon Davis was our starting point guard the previous two years. So we moved him over to the two, but the truth is they were both primary ball handlers, and it allowed 
Tyrell to work with Dejan, Dejan to work with Tyrell. One guy bring it up, the other guy start, you know, coming off screens. Um, and, and I think that's very consistent how the NBA is playing now is, you know, with Tyrell, with his size, um, there may be times where he may be better used early in his career as a shooter off the ball instead of being pressured and ball hawked up the court um, just because of his physicality. But I think whether he plays the one or the two, whether he's handling or not, he can still be a great playmaker and still stretch the court. Because another thing he talked about was uh, his floater game on there too and uh, improving that too. And because I was looking at clips of that on there and you think about like the guys who use the floater, obviously Trey Young is the first player who comes to mind and he's also listed as six one and Mike Conley's listed at six one, Chris Paul, Tony Parker, obviously the most famous recent example is listed at six two. So what do you think that adding like a, maybe a more consistent floater game would do for Tyrell? Yeah, he, he definitely has um, room for growth with that. And I think he'd be the first to admit it. Like he, um, we kind of we obviously spent a lot of time analytically talking about shooting threes and layups like everybody does, uh, getting the free throw line. Well, his numbers in those two areas were so off the charts, right? His mid range, he has a really good pull up, but he didn't shoot a great percentage from it. So now, what we kind of we worked on as the year went on was getting to that floater, getting to that in between game where he can't get all the way to the rim because there's too much length there, um, and being able to you know get a floater up over the the length of NBA centers and power forwards. Um, and, and then also just getting more crafty in there with Euro steps and footwork and different finishes around the basket. Um, all of that are things he can work on. Uh, he definitely has gotten more athletic in this time off. And uh, you can just see he's getting stronger, which is a great thing for him. Uh, but he does, you know, I, I always go back to like, guys want to work on a certain skill. What is their bread and butter? You know, for Tyrell, if he can get to the basket and finish, at a really high rate in college, that correlates pretty well to the NBA. Same thing with his shooting, you know, catch and shoot or off the dribble, deep range threes. Uh, he was really high level at that, and I think that'll correlate really well to the NBA. Yeah, I he think, finished at a really high rate at the rim in college, sixty yeah. percent, right, Jeff? You said. Yeah, uh, that was yeah, that was super impressive to me, um, given his size. Uh, but you see, you know, in the film especially, like he shields the ball really well when he gets into the paint. Um, and he just like he uses his body, he absorbs contact well, and it's just he has a nice touch. You know, he has a way of kind of laying it off the glass where even if there are defenders that are a little bit uh, longer, where he just gets the ball just out of their reach. And it's something that you can tell, like you can't really teach it. And I don't know, you know, it's not like drills that you can run for that, but Whatever he has in him, he can do that. Um, and we were talking about his size and, you know, everything now, you know, part of the reason I think that you're seeing him sky up draft boards too is because there's been reports that he's put on some really good muscle and weight, gone from 155 to 174. Also, there's been some reports about a growth spurt as well. Um, is he working out near you guys? Is there, have you guys seen that? Was was that kind of in development throughout the year? Um, or is, is, is that something that maybe that's just been, I guess, since uh, you guys stopped playing? Yeah, he really, um, we have not been able to see him. He's been in Indianapolis training um, since uh, middle of April. Uh, and that's where, you know, he's from Minnesota. He's been going back and forth between Indiana and Minnesota uh, every few weeks. 
um, we've obviously kept in constant contact with them and just trying to, whether it's teams calling us or um, just checking in on him, seeing what he's working on. Uh, we talk quite a bit. He um, He's put on good weight. He's really worked on his skill set. He's really continued to work on expanding his range. Um, the whole growth spurt thing, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's got bigger shoes. We'll see how that works. And I do know his hair has grown quite a bit. So that, like, he hasn't got a haircut in a long time. So yeah. that could give him another inch very easily. Maybe he, he planned that one out for the combine or whatever. <laughs> um, but, you know, the he's a worker. And, and I'll say this, like, and I say this to everybody everybody's going to say he's too weak, he's too small, and he does have some physical limitations. There's no question about that. He knows that. He's very self-aware of that. However, this is a kid who's always been counted out and always been told he's too small and too weak, and he always overachieves. Um, and it's been that way since he's been extremely, extremely young. So uh, he's a kid that I know will overcome any of those you know, questions just because he, he's driven like that and he always has been. I think along that line of the conversation of him overcoming and a big part of that um, seems to be connected to his basketball IQ. And there was even a report from USA Today and it was in a, a there was a, an article I had written back and I, I tried to reference this that there was some type of, I don't know the name of the test, but there was a, a basketball IQ test that was reportedly administered by some you know front offices, several GMs, and he broke a record uh, apparently that was, you know, I guess it had never been done before. But uh, the question I want to ask you is, is there anything on the practice court or during games, you know, maybe one story that sticks out to you that really kind of symbolizes his IQ and in a way that impacted the game? I mean, even in some of the, the tape that I watched him, I remember when you guys played against Oregon, he had an inbounds, a nice um, inbounds alley-oop that, that he had uh, executed really well. A lot of things, um, you know, when you watch tape, he, I, I, I said this before to somebody I was talking about, Tyrell, a lot of shooters, you talk about them um, moving without the ball to set up the shot, but he moves so well without the ball to set up passes and almost other passes as well. Uh, if there's something that maybe you remember from this past season, that kind of symbolizes that. Yeah, um you're right on. I mean, everything you just said, like, is, is exactly who he is. Like, he he understands the game at a really, really high level. Uh, he sees things before other guys see things. He sees um, – and he's not afraid to make the passes that a lot of guys, you know, are afraid to make because of defenders there or whatever. Like, he, he trusts his eyes and trusts his ability. I actually think that, you know, if he was to come back to school this past – this year, he, he would have – Sorry, one second. No problem. He would have been, um, you know, one area he would have really improved is his assistant turnover number because he's – sorry, guys. No worries, um, no worries. Um, is the – his assistant turnover numbers would go up uh, in a great deal because I think he's totally – like he understands all of the reads he's supposed to make, but he was just too weak to actually get to those spots. So he could see it, and we'd watch it on film, and he would be like, man, how did I not make that play? And he got pushed off maybe just because of um, the physicality that guys play with, and I think that's the area he needs to get to. Now, I actually think like in the NBA with an even more free-flowing game where he's able to um, you know, 
create that space, have other great players around him. It's only going to help him because he sees everything so well. Like if you put, uh, we didn't have a great like rim running roller as a five man this year. We had a really skilled guy, but it wasn't like a guy that he could throw lobs to and that kind of thing. When you have that kind of thing, that kind of player, which most NBA teams have at the five, like it's only going to help his game. Um, he really moves well without the ball. He's been well coached, you know, for a long time at a young age, and I think that's really helped him. He's been one of the guys who's moved up the draft boards. Like you always talk about risers in the draft, and he was like projected late first round. And Kevin O'Connor just released his mock draft today, and he was 14th. And he's kind of, uh, I think I saw him described as a wild card in this draft because. People are kind of unsure how to gauge him. And I guess his, what is it, reported growth spurt, you said earlier, Jeff, of like one inch will cause even more to that. But it's funny because you read some of the stuff about the criticisms about him, and the first one is always that he needs to put on more weight. And now we're talking about how he just put on more weight. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, about your uh, defense and you guys were obviously one of the best defenses in the country this year. You were top 10 in a lot of different categories, top 15, but uh, Tyrell was obviously played a, a heavy minutes on that team. So what was his role on that defense? Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, we, we were, like you said, a terrific defensive team. We had two perimeter defenders, Dejon Davis and Bryce Wills, who just were outstanding. Bryce was all defensive team in our confidence. Dejon probably deserved to be and, and wasn't, but he was really close. Um, so those guys, you know, gave Tyrell a little break at times, and he could sometimes guard the third perimeter option. Um, and because those guys are just, I mean, they're two of the best five or 10 defenders in our league for sure. Um, that helps tie right now. I will say this, like, was he great defensively? No. And he'd be the first to admit that, um, you know, he'd hit a hit ball screens and struggle to get through, but he also, um, had the instincts to understand the schemes really, really well, which allowed him to get steals off the ball. It allowed him to stay in the gaps and, you know, provide a, a form of resistance. Um, and he just had a, he did have an innate toughness that he was able to, um, overcome his lack of size and physicality. So I think it's it's an area he, he knows he's got to get better at, especially in pick and roll where teams can't just overpower him. And especially as he gets to the next level, that'll be something of focus for sure. And, you know, I, in terms of like being a riser in the draft, I, a lot of people are talking about him, but it's going to be interesting to see. And I, I think it's until it's draft day, you just never know. And that's the hard part as everybody's going to go through. We had another coach on here who was from Iowa State who was talking about Tyrese Halliburton, and he said that he thinks Halliburton is going to benefit from the combine being virtual because he thinks Halliburton will do really well in interviews with teams. Do you think that Tyrell is going to benefit from that too, or do you think it would be better for him if he were able to be in person and working out for teams? Yeah, either way, I think he'd be fine because his shooting would be you know, highlighted. Right. 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 Um, but I, I do think that he'll handle himself extremely well in the interviews. Like he's a, I keep saying he's an extremely bright kid who speaks extremely well to the right people. He understands his weaknesses. He understands what he's good at. He's confident. Um, 
in his abilities and where he can go. And, and I think either way he'll thrive in that situation. You were mentioning before, um, we were kind of talking about things that he needs to work on and, and we talked a, a little bit about turnovers. Um, and you know, some of the things that, that you see on tape can be, you know, explained by he's a young kid. Um, you know, he has a, a big playmaking role in the offense, you know, cross court passes, trying to dribble between, you know, multiple defenders. Uh, would, would you say that that's kind of just attributed to his youth or is there something specific in the decision-making aspect that he, you know, might have to improve to, to make, to make that next jump at the next level? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's more like he knows the right play. And if there are times he made mistakes, um, is probably trying to be over aggressive uh, or he just got pushed off his spots. So the passes became harder than they needed to because of the physicality that teams had on him. I think that is real. Um, so I think as he gets stronger, his ability to continue to get downhill more, obviously we see him shoot a high percentage at the rim. Well, he's got to keep being able to get to the basket and get to the paint and then become more of a playmaker. But um, his IQ is really high. Like that, whatever test he took, I, I mean, I've heard that a lot and whatever, but it's it's real. Like he knows the game and he knows what what if you tell him one time, he understands why and why it's coming from there. And if you tell him, here's the action we're running, he'll be able to know the three spots right away. And um, that's where I think like he's going to pick things up extremely fast, extremely well. And I'm, I'm happy you mentioned um, that he was at times, you know, maybe being a little over aggressive because I, that was one of the questions I had for you too, because most of the tape that I watch, and I don't know if this is just a, a function of the offer, offense at Stanford, but I, it's one thing that you really like. It, lo- it doesn't look like he forces things. He makes the right play a lot. But even when you look at some of the stats of some of the, I guess, like primary initiators or ball handlers or scorers, and you look at their points produced, and then you look at like the volume of shots that he took, it's probably, a, you know, for the most part, lower than than maybe some of the other guys in the country. But do you, would you say that that is, is due to just the offense would be more of like, you know, sharing the ball or, or does he have to become maybe a little bit more aggressive when he gets to the league? Um, maybe, maybe a little bit because of the offense, but I think, you know, in college it's so ball movement driven. I, I think his, I think his aggression, uh, a little bit was based on our ball movement and we did move it side to side quite a bit, but at the same time, um, it's him being able to understand, like, I really am this good. And, uh, cause I think it take him, took him a little bit of time for that. Right. Like he, although he put up really good numbers the entire year and had great moments, um, I think he felt the game out a little bit too much, you know, like there were times where he'd have three points with two minutes, to go in the first half and then he'd erupt for 13 in a row really quick and he had that kind of ability but just being able to step on it a little bit quicker i think would really help him and is there um he, oh, uh, no, no chip go go for it no go ahead no i was just gonna say he wasn't uh leading but he ended up taking more shots than De Silva by the end of the year but De Silva was uh the leading scorer i was just gonna bring that up real quick gotcha like, i just wanted to I was going to ask, um, Adam, is there a player in the NBA right now that 
you could see, I mean, we've, I think anyone that's followed Terry this year has seen some of the comparisons to whether it's Steph or Trey. Um, but is there any other player in the NBA that, that you could see him kind of modeling his game after or maybe trying to kind of mirror that role a little bit? Yeah, I mean, you can. It's funny in high school, you know, we definitely saw a little bit of that, and I remember, you know, when he when he got going and wanted to score a little bit, he could pull from anywhere and look like Steph, and um, he'd run off screens and it'd be like that as well. And we were, we talked about that when we were recruiting him. Uh, you know, I, it's hard for me to say. Those guys are so dynamic. I've thought a lot about it. Um, Steph has such an amazing confidence to him that. At all times, he you know he has it, but he also has that competitive spirit. So he has, he does have some of that. Um, I don't think he is Steph, but I think there are pieces that he can take from that. Um, the thing with Trey, like his ability to shoot off the bounce, is what's so, and to be able to also, like you said earlier, get to the floaters. Um, God, he was he's good at that. And and the thing I think it, Trey averaged like eight or nine assists a game in college too. I mean, his stats were unbelievable coming out. Um, Ty, I think, was at three or four. That's a big difference. Um, I think, obviously, there are pieces of those guys' games you can definitely take. I also think, like, a guy where, where I think he could really get started is if you have a big ball handler like a Luka Doncic, for instance, and you have he's like a Seth Curry role, right? Like a, a smaller two who can be a secondary ball handler when they have a big ball handler with him. Um, I could see that to stretch the court, especially early in his career. CJ McCollum is a guy that they talked a lot about during the ESPN interview. And he talked about him too. And he talked about, he talked about modeling his game after like multiple players. And it was interesting. He talked about CJ and Steph. He talked about obviously a lot during high school. And he actually talked about modeling, like, cause they talked about how good he was moving without the ball. And he talked about studying how JJ Redick would uh, pivot his body before he would catch it. And it was, He's just, like you were saying earlier, he's just very smart. He understands the game. He's just studying multiple players. It's not just words coming out of his mouth. He's clearly looking at these guys, and it's it's interesting to hear him talk. It's very He's a very smart guy, and it's just somebody's going to get a really good player, a steal probably, because he's going to go later in the draft. No, I agree. And, I mean, I remember constantly sending him videos, just short videos on these guys were talking about um, just for him to watch on his own. And I think since he made the decision to stay in the draft, he's really studied it more than ever before. Um, not having to worry about school and not having to, you know, worry about whatever's coming next and allow him just to have a singular focus has really kind of helped him study everything more. What is Tyrell like off the court? You know, would you say, um, you know, if, if any, what type of leadership role did he have on the team? He's obviously a freshman. Um, is he a vocal guy? Is he kind of like a lead by example guy? You know, kind of, um, what's, what's his role in that area? Yeah, he's a guy that is extremely quiet and low key. Um, like he won't go out. He doesn't have a ton of friends. He has a group of friends from high school that he's close with. He hung out with his teammates. He loves watching soccer. Um, he loves playing video games like a normal kid. He loves sports, many sports. Uh, but he's not a social kid at all. Um, and we, we felt like he did have room for growth, especially when he came back to school of having more of a presence on the court and being able to take control. Even though, obviously, when you watch him, like he plays with a flair and a zest that other guys just kind of, 
you know, lead on to and follow him because of. Um, but I think it's something that he could really improve on of being that guy who can be more vocal because he knows what's supposed to happen. It's just a matter of being able to deliver that message to the rest of your group um, and go from there. Like that's something he absolutely can do better. And I think he will um, because he's, he's gaining confidence. And I, and I think as a freshman, you're going through ups and downs no matter what. And by all accounts, he had way more ups than downs. Uh, but at the same time, it's never easy. And, um, and this is also a kid who we talked a little earlier, like he never had a lot of recruitment. He never was a blue blood type kid. He never was McDonald's all American, He never had that attention. And then you get the attention. How do you handle that? Um, is always something that, you know, is hard to do when you get all that kind of, you know, um, just attention on you and your game. And it sounds like he kind of has a even keeled disposition that he would be able to handle that well. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low. I think that's the type of guy that you want in your locker room. Um, one of the last few questions for me, I'm always interested to ask coaches about this. Um, you know, who was the best wing defender that you guys played against? And how do you think Tyrell fared in that matchup? Um, you know, a uh, couple. Like when, when we played Butler... And that was an amazing they, game, by the way. Yeah, it was a great game. Unbelievable. I mean, they, Kamar Baldwin, who I think is one of the most underrated guys in this year's class. He hit everything at the good. end. It was it was insane. It's crazy. I don't know why he's getting not getting more love. Like yeah. I think he's a hell of a player and at worst like a two way guy. But um, you know, Aaron Thompson, the kid on Butler, the point guard, was one of the best defenders we faced all year. He's a tough dude who can really get into the ball with physicality not a great scorer but a really good setup guy and point guard and can really guard the ball and ty played really well against him um we played arizona josh green was probably the the highest potential um defender we played we you know josh is a exceptional athlete with great length can really move well um and he's hard to to get by and unfortunately Ty got hurt towards the end of that game just a mild little hamstring pull and he had to sit out the last eight or nine minutes and we were in, we were down five or six points we were right there and we just couldn't overcome without him and um there was uh one one question I was going to ask you I don't think it was oh yeah that's so it's, it's actually Silva. yeah that it, Chip Chip actually just reminded me so um, not a Tyrell Terry question, but literally in all of the clips that I watched, I'm watching Tyrell Terry tape and I'm like, who is this guy? Who is Oscar De Silva? And I don't know why he's not getting more draft um, buzz as well. Like this guy is extremely skilled, um, you know, pretty decent shooter from outside, moves really well. Like if you could just talk a little bit about what he meant to your team, what he brought to the table, because in my vantage point, you know, it could be maybe because of his age, but this guy definitely has a place on some some professional roster for sure. Yeah, he uh, he's going to be a senior for us, so he's been through a lot. He started, I think, 11 games as a freshman, started every game as a sophomore and junior, uh, averaged 16 last year. You know, he just hasn't shot the ball really well since his freshman year. Okay. If he can get his shooting percentage a little higher at 6'9", 230, who can guard multiple positions, uh, play above the rim, score in the post, score on the perimeter, drive guys from the perimeter, he'll have his opportunities, we believe. Um, 
he's one of the best kids I've ever coached in terms of people. He's from Munich, Germany. He speaks six languages. Uh, he's studying, you know, biology and working in the stem cell research lab on campus. Uh, he's just a unbelievable kid, unbelievable worker. He's kind of what you get into this business for. Uh, he's just, he's awesome. I and mean, we, he was a captain last year. He's really grown up here. He's really, uh, just taking ownership of his basketball career. And I completely believe that with a good year, he'll be in that conversation that you're talking about. And, and I think like he's not far off and he came back, he's improved, he's in great shape. And, uh, you know, we expect him to have a better year than he had last year. And, you know, to be first team all league, average 16 a game and come back to school, it doesn't happen a lot. So for him, um, he's got a great opportunity ahead of him to really showcase himself. And, um, so essentially what you're saying is if, if basketball doesn't work out, this he's going to be successful no matter what. You know, that's one of the best things about Stanford is almost all of our guys are going to be successful once once they uh, get that degree from here because this, this place is unique, different. Um, the alumni network is unlike any other. And they came here for a reason. They, you know, they want to get the best of both worlds. Like our kid Zaire Williams, who's a freshman for us this year, they wanted to achieve the best on and off the court and put themselves in a great position if basketball didn't work out. So, uh, and honestly, Tyrell can always come back to school and get his degree, which I assume he will at one point. It was really important to him and his family. And uh, he's only got two more years left of full full time school. So. I think um, last one for me, it's, it's another kind of off the wall, off the ball question. Um, but Chip and I are both Knicks fans. Uh, so we had noticed kind of researching you before that you spent some time at uh, Vanderbilt. Didn't, were you there when Luke Cornett was there? I was. I coached <laughs> Luke for two years. That is, so, uh, you know, during uh, some of the rough down seasons, uh, we enjoyed watching Luke a lot. We loved Luke. We, we loved it Luke. Um, and I know, I think he's with the Bulls now. I'm not sure if he's still there, but yeah, um, yeah, he was he was a fun player to watch. We thought, you know, with the right development, you know, he could develop into something for sure. Couldn't agree more. I'll give you two quick Luke stories. It won't take long, but one is I was a uh, – let's see, 25-year-old assistant coach at Rice. So it was nine years ago, I think it was. And maybe it was eight years ago, whatever it was. Luke Cornett was a rising senior in high school, um, played at a really small school in Dallas. His dad was his high school coach. Um, and they were playing a game in Houston. And his dad called our office uh, at Rice and said, hey, we're in town. I don't know. I have a son. I played in the NBA. I have a son who's growing. He's pretty good. I went to his game that night, just out of the blue. It was down the street from where I lived, and Luke was so bad. I mean, <laughs> so bad. I, I'm saying, like, one for 15 type bad. He hurt his ankle. Um, it was not a good performance for him. That was the last time I talked to Luke, and the next thing I know, three years later, I'm coaching him. And uh, pretty amazing story. We always joke about it. Luke also, I mean, talk about how cool this is. In the uh, – pandemic we have all these zoom calls coaches talking you know all this kind of thing i was on so many zoom calls with lou Cornette when he was trying to learn the coaching point of view and pick the brains of other nba or college coaches and he was not there as a player not there trying to show how much he knew he was just listening to continue to learn the game as i would expect him to coach at some point here moving forward wow that is a great story um, yeah, great we, kid, man. High, high level family. Yeah, we were we were definitely uh, you know upset when when we couldn't hold on to him, but 
unfortunately, we you know we we lose a lot of our young players, but I uh, I have no doubt he'll be successful <laughs> too. That that was pretty cool though. I thank you for that. Um, and I think yep. that's that's probably yep. Chip. Unless you have another one, I think that's probably uh, probably. I wanted to ask up. about Cornette too. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, but Adam, thank you so much. Uh, I know your schedule is crazy busy, um, especially with the season. Uh, you know, we really appreciate you taking some time out to talk Tyrell Terry. Um, we're very interested to see where he goes. You know, there's been a lot of mid-first round, you know, sneaking into the lottery type talk. It will be interesting, I think, to see who really, um, you know, selects him and then tries to develop him and, and what type of role he takes. But when you watch him, it takes you know no no more than two or three minutes to see that he has special talent. So thanks for kind of helping us break that down. Um, and obviously, the best of luck to you and uh, the Stanford Cardinals this season as well. Hey, thank you guys. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, if anything else comes up, feel free to reach out anytime. Glad to help. And definitely wish our best for for Tyrell as he goes through with this. And uh, we're really excited for him you know, over the course of the next, geez, three weeks uh, until draft day. Yep, it's uh, it's definitely coming up. It's circled on everybody's calendars for sure. Um, and, um, you know, as, as we continue with our draft coverage, we'll be trying to bring a couple more of these podcasts to you guys as well, talking about some of the other prospects uh, that are hopefully going to be selected. We hope everybody is staying safe, and we will talk to you guys soon. 